This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where it's time to dress in hideous shades of orange and blue and rub shoulders with a guy in an alligator costume. Yes, it is Gator Day at the Florida Capitol. On today's Sunrise interview, we'll be talking with University of Florida President Ken Fox about taking over Florida Poly, the backlash against higher ed in the legislature, and his favorite FSU jokes. After passing new restrictions on abortion under the guise of parental rights, the Florida Senate is back at it. They've got another parental rights bill working its way through committees. This one could force teachers and guidance counselors to out gay and lesbian students to their own parents. One of the governor's priorities this year is cutting through the red tape for occupational licenses issued by local governments. However, a bill to do that is just stalled in Senate committees. Despite a racy memoir, a history of sexually suggestive comments, Dr. Scott Rivkes is one step closer to being confirmed as the state surgeon general. There are more than 3.5 million Floridians who cannot vote in next month's presidential primary because they're not in the Republican or Democratic parties. But the NPAs, short for No Party Affiliation, can still vote if they change their registration by the end of the day. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest from Florida Man, including the guy with a life-size Donald Trump cutout and the gal who took a bite out of a crime fighter. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 18th. The Education Committee in the Florida Senate approves the Parents' Bill of Rights. Senator Kelly Stargell says her bill would give parents more control over their child's education and health care decisions. There's this impression out there that if the parent isn't parenting the way that someone believes they should, they should be removed and replaced by the state. And if that's the case, and if the child is being abused in such a situation where it's gone through the courts and that's been determined, we have in place that process. But this is not the case for what many times is happening. It's the opinion of some person that they know what's best for my child over me and that I that I take objection to. This bill is trying to make it clear for parents what their rights are and where their rights are throughout law. Senator Lori Berman is no fan of that bill because it would allow parents to remove their kids from any class where they disagree with the content because they think it might be harmful to their child. Would this bill allow a Holocaust denier to remove a student from class on the belief that teaching the Holocaust is harmful? This bill would allow a parent to remove a child from any portion of instruction that they feel is deemed harmful to their child. Um, but if a parent should choose to remove their child from that instruction, maybe they feel it's not age appropriate for them, or maybe there is a significant situation. Um, the parent has the right to remove their child from any instruction um, that they think that may be harmful to their child. Berman is also troubled by a clause that says teachers and guidance counselors would have to inform the parents of things that they are told in confidence by kids. What this bill does do is quite harmful. First, it gives a parent a veto power to object to any and all instructional materials. Second, the bill could force teachers and guidance counselors to make information given in confidence by a trusting student available to their parents. School personnel have always been a safety net from ch for children having home issues. This legislation disrupts the safety net and could be extremely harmful to our most at-risk students. John Harris Maurer with Equality Florida says that provision is especially dangerous to gay and lesbian students who feel they cannot be honest with their own parents. Our primary concern here is how the bill would require disclosure of information that could out students. We wish that all students came from supportive families. However, we know that that is not the case for all of our students, and sometimes school is the only place of safety for LGBTQ youth. Outing them even to their parents can expose them to harm and put their well-being at risk. 
this bill includes no safeguards for consideration of how such disclosure could jeopardize a student's safety. Isabella Rano says this bill is an invitation for anti-gay groups to interfere in public schools. She's also worried about a provision that says parents don't have to vaccinate their children. I know you're trying to sell it as a bill that is compiling a whole bunch of other laws that are there to protect the parents' rights, but I find it uh, as a sneaky way to try to eliminate safe and friendly spaces for LGBTQ plus and minority youth. What this bill wants to do is open a mechanism for certain interest groups to remove LGBTQ plus and black and, black and brown history from public education. I also listened to the question by Senator Berman regarding um, uh, vaccinations. Parents have the right to choose to raise their kids uh, based on junk science and prejudice, if that's their choice, but they don't have the right to send unvaccinated kids for no real reason to school to put other kids in risk. Actually, they already have that right under state law. And Senator Dennis Baxley says the state needs to yield to parents. The state is not in charge of the children. And this is, this is where we're at. Uh, there's a lot of people that think the education model should be something different and that it has the authority to take over and decide what's best for all children and indoctrinate them the same. I don't think so. I think families are in charge. And um, I'm sorry that it takes a bill to clarify what is a foundational truth in our culture of who's in charge. And that's why we make sure everybody has parents. If they have abusive parents, if they have dysfunctional family, we try to create alternatives for them. Uh, but uh, all of a sudden, the state knows more about raising my five children and my eight grandchildren than the parents, and they're going to be in charge of them? These children do not belong to the state. They belong to these families. The Parents' Bill of Rights has been approved by two Senate committees. Next up is the Rules Committee, then on to the floor. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee gives unanimous approval to the governor's selection of Scott Rivkes to serve as Surgeon General and Secretary of the Florida Department of Health. Now, in previous committees, Rivkes faced tough questions about his intention to continue working at the University of Florida while serving as Surgeon General. He was also challenged about his history of sexually suggestive comments and a memoir he wrote documenting the body world at a previous hospital where he worked, describing break room sex, drug abuse, and a long list of romantic partners. But no one asked about it this time. Rivkes focused instead on his theme of combating opioids, Alzheimer's disease, and hepatitis A. He also vowed to fight the coronavirus with rigor and zeal. A proposal to make dramatic changes in the way occupations are licensed in Florida has been postponed by a Senate committee amidst growing signs of Republican discontent. Senator Keith Perry's bill would preempt local governments from requiring occupational licenses that are not mandated by the state. That covers a wide range of trades like painting, flooring, Carpentry, cabinetry, interior remodeling, the installation of driveways, tennis courts, tile, stone, granite, you name it. Perry says his bill is affixed to the patchwork of regulations throughout the state, and it's a priority for Governor Ron DeSantis. But it's stalled in the Innovation, Industry, and Technology Committee Monday. That is not a good sign at this stage of the session, especially when you consider it took two tries just to get out of the very first committee. There are more than 3.5 million Floridians who are members of minor political parties or have no party affiliation whatsoever, and they will not be able to vote in next month's presidential primary in Florida. But you still have time to change your registration and take part. All you have to do is hold your nose and switch to the Republican or Democratic Party. 
It's a simple process. You can download the form online, but you have to deliver it to your county elections office before the end of the day. That's the deadline. And if you're still fed up with the major parties, you can always switch back to no party affiliation after the primary. Next up, a conversation with University of Florida President Kent Fox, who's in the state capitol today to do a bit of lobbying and public relations. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. Apply today to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by February 21st. Visit cflpli.org. That's cflpli.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is the president of the University of Florida. Ken Fox has been the head gator in Hogtown for more than five years now, but he's in Tallahassee today to spread the gospel of Gainesville during what's known as Gator Day. This is Gator Day at the state capitol. What can folks expect when they show up? Well, we're going to have our football coach uh, on in Tallahassee. Uh, for some reason, uh, people like to see football coaches more than presidents. Uh, but then we'll have uh, uh, just a number of our trustees that will be meeting with state legislatures and with the um, uh, with the governor. And I'll be there. And uh, and then we'll have uh, Albert and Alberta. Uh, and just a lot of fun, uh, particularly around the noon hour, but uh, throughout the whole day. Um, we don't have uh, the advantage of being uh, located in Tallahassee, so it takes us some effort to get everybody there, but it's going to be a great showing with all, not just people from the campus, but also just a lot of alumni. It'll be a lot of fun all day. You, you know, it is a lot of effort, not just by the University of Florida, but we have a lot of different groups coming up and doing like, you know, Palm Beach County Days, FSU Days. Yes. What, is there a value to that? I mean, because it, it, it is a lot of logistical nightmare. And do you really get anything back for your efforts other than, you know, the usual PR kind of thing? It, it, it's, when I'm there in Tallahassee, and I'm there frequently, almost every week uh, during this time of year, uh, you're right. I see a lot of groups uh, through going around and secondly hosting events and, uh, and other universities as well. I, I do believe that the most significant uh, presence you can have are the individual conversations with our elected officials and uh, their staff. Uh, their staff are incredibly important. Um, and again, in the House, in the Senate, and in, in the governor's office. Uh, so those are most important, certainly. Uh, but secondly, it's also good just for school spirit, for university spirit, for us to have students that come to Tallahassee so the students will learn about how important this is uh, and to show their support. Uh, and uh, secondly, and, and we're not just there to ask, we're there to thank our elected officials, and which is, I think, the, the biggest thing we can do as a group. It's one thing for me to, to come and, and talk about what we've accomplished and, and, and to thank the elected officials and, and to make our ask, but it's another thing to have the, the actual students that are being affected by the investments by the state. So there's value. I, I don't think we should do it more than one day a year, but, but I do believe it's, it is a good investment of our time, and it really shows the, the gratitude, if nothing else, that we have for the investment the state is making in higher ed. What do you make of all the criticism of higher education that's been coming out of the legislature in recent years? I mean, especially the House. Is there some kind of backlash against the universities going on? Well, the, first I would just say there's just a huge amount to celebrate. And sometimes uh, when we see uh, missteps or, or other issues on a campus, we forget about 
all the incredible progress across in the state of Florida, across the entire state university system. Uh, the whole system of, of the 12 universities is now ranked number one in the nation as, as a system overall. Uh, and almost all the universities have made major strides in the rankings of U.S. News and World Report. You know, we were uh, 10 years ago number 19 in the nation amongst public research universities, and then five years ago, uh, 14, and now we're seven, and we've committed within two years of being in the top five. And yet there's a similar story of the progress that's been made at, at the other universities, Florida State, USF, et, et cetera. And so I, I do believe we sometimes forget about all that progress. C can we all uh, be just be more effective, be more accountable, uh, and uh, follow the guidance of the state leg legislature more effective? I think we can, and I, I do believe that certainly University of Florida and also my, my colleagues and the other universities in the system are committed to that. What do you think about this idea that's going around in Tallahassee now about converting Florida Poly in Lakeland into a branch campus of UF? Well, we, we were surprised uh, when we indeed um, heard the news. Uh, it wasn't something that we were asking for or planning on, but, you know, in, in some sense it is a uh, a compliment to us because we really are, uh, we're, we're actually, we spend the smallest percentage of our state funds on administration than anyone else in the state university system. We we are uh, we, we we offer a degree that costs one quarter the the uh, system's average across the state university system, and we got incredible student outcomes among the best in the nation, including with private. So, we're, we're it's a compliment to to say well you know maybe if these other universities were a part of University of Florida or part of Florida State University, they might have lower costs or have better outcomes. Um, but uh, it, you know on the other hand, we're we're real busy as we are. Uh, doing a lot of things with a lot of goals, so we're just going to rely on the state legislature to, to do what, what's right. And we're not, at this point, uh, putting into place any plans or, or even uh, thinking about how we might implement something. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see what the results are with this whole legislative session. Uh-huh. Now, it's, it's interesting. You didn't have any, any advance warning on this because the president of Florida, Polly, he, he was sure surprised about it. Uh, right. Did, right. Is, do you think this is a real bill or is it one of those things they call a two-by-four bill? It's just designed to smack someone on the side of the head and get their attention. I don't know. I really don't know. And uh, certainly that, that would be uh, the right question. I, I think it's very serious. I really do. I, I, I don't think it's just... Um, a uh, attention getter, um, or just to send messages. It certainly sends a message, but I don't think that's the only purpose. So we're we're going to watch it closely. One of the other big things going on in higher ed now, because of what happened at the Moffitt Cancer Center, is the the question of how much influence does China have with some of the research institutions? Is UF going back and, and looking at this issue internally? We 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 did that uh, over a year ago, actually. So we were actually a national leader in reviewing how uh, we ask for uh, any conflicts of interest, conflicts of commitment from our employees, faculty and staff. And uh, it turns out we felt a year ago that we didn't have the best processes, so we changed them all. Um, and then we went back and actually reviewed some of the agreements uh, that we had had with some of our faculty and told them that uh, we, well, what we'd agreed to in the past is no longer acceptable going forward. Uh, so we uh, certainly, the, the whole... Uh, uh, evaluation of how uh, faculty and staff in the United States engage with other countries, not just China. So China is certainly the, the poster case in this, in this example, but uh, all around the world is, uh, I, I think it can be healthy if we manage it well. On, on the flip side of this, 
is that we, we definitely have to be engaged worldwide, but we need to do it in a way where there are bad actors, particularly in other nations, they don't uh, take advantage of us as individuals, as a university, or as a nation. So, and the world has changed. We're, we're facing for the first time a, a nation, in this case in China, that is both an economic threat to the United States and a military threat. In the past, it's been uh, one or the other. Uh, Japan was an economic threat to the United States uh, about 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, but they weren't a military threat. And we've had Russia as a, in the past that was a military threat, but not an economic threat. But in China, we got both. And so I, I do believe that we as citizens and patriots uh, have an extra uh, sense of urgency that we need to be protective and yet don't harm the future of our economy as a nation because we're putting up uh, barriers to to learning from other countries and bringing, I would argue, even bringing uh, wonderful uh, students to our universities that will come contribute and actually stay here in our country and then contribute to our economy. Doc, you've been running UF for about five years now. What has changed during your time? I, I, I would just say there's there's an incredible sense of of optimism and momentum going forward. I, I see it, for example, in just the philanthropy to the university. Uh, you know, the state investment is critical. The, the funds we bring in through through tuition and, and, and the, the costs that we recover are important. But the gifts are something that are just a, a sign of, of commitment by those that don't have to give to the university. And so in 2014, we we had announced that the university had received $300 million in philanthropy, and that was the first time it had received that amount. We're close to $600 million now, so it has almost doubled, and we're more than a year and a half ahead, more than a year ahead of reaching a $3 billion goal in our philanthropy. So I would just say a sense of, of, of commitment around the university to being a top five public research university and uh, just a sense of enthusiasm and support from our alumni is, is really quite special. And we've been able to demonstrate a return on investment. In the past, we, would, we were uh, saying, you know, if you invested in us, we'll demonstrate that that's a good investment. Now we can show that that has been a good investment. And the quality of all that we do, outcomes of students, the, the growth in the, the research enterprise, federal dollars that come to the state of Florida brought in by faculty and staff, and, uh, and the, just the pure simply, the, the rankings has, has really fueled that, uh, that, that documentation of a return on investment. Now, as far as your own background, you have a B.S. in engineering, a master's degrees in divinity and electrical engineering, and a Ph.D. Yeah. in philosophy. You know, yeah. Ancient Greece had its concept of philosopher kings. Were you going for a sort of a philosopher-engineer vibe there? <laughs> no, no. I, there, there was, when I was graduating from, uh, from college, I, I decided that what I really wanted to do was, was to be a pastor of a church, to, to have a profession where I was making a real difference uh, in, in people's lives uh, and serving people through, through in, a, in a church environment. And that came about because I was really uh, impacted by the, a church that I attended in, in Durham, North Carolina at that point. There was a, a pastor that really cared about college students, and he'd have over 100 students every week in his home. And so I went off to divinity school, but I realized uh, for three years it was a master of divinity program, even though I'd studied engineering as an undergrad, my real skill was, was not so much in giving sermons or, or preaching, but it was in, uh, in, in, in mentoring, in uh, advising, 
and in, in teaching. Just uh, So to me, that said, well, maybe I ought to pursue becoming a college teacher. And so I went back to my engineering graduate studies and uh, indeed had a, had a career for about 12 years as a faculty member after I finished my graduate degrees in engineering before I started my uh, roles in administration and academic leadership. Impressive. So I have to ask you this. What is your favorite FSU joke? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I just can't go there, okay? I am, I am such a fan of uh, President John Thrasher. Uh, he, you know, he's, he has become my mentor in many things. Um, he has quite a different background than I have. I'm just a pure academic, uh, and it, it, you know, it, you know, checked all those boxes of what you would do if you were an academic who's, who's done well in teaching and research and all that. Uh, John, President Thrasher, comes in from a quite different perspective, but you know, he's been just a model of how you can win over the faculty and the alumni and the students at being effective. So. So, um, you know, we, we definitely want to uh, beat them by, by, by many dozens of points every time we play them on the field or on the court, but uh, and I, we should have no mercy there. But in terms of supporting FSU's goals, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering them on. I got you. Well, if you want to tell an FSU joke, how about your favorite Gator joke? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I, I wish I could tell you one. I, I, you, if you had given me advance warning, I, I would have remembered one. I, I, I don't tell Gator jokes or FSU jokes. So I, do, you, do you have one that you could recall? Well, let's see. I've got one for each, actually. <laughs> okay. You want to share them or sure. not? Sure. How, how many FSU freshmen does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh-oh. I'm not going to say. None. <laughs> okay. That's a sophomore-level course. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I can't laugh. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. How about this? What do you call a Gator graduate in a three-piece suit? Uh-oh. I don't know. The defendant. Oh, no. Those are both bad. Okay. They are. That's, that's... I have now forgotten both of them. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to – tomorrow, again, no, it's uh, – well, we, we have our Gator Day, uh, so I've got meetings uh, today and, uh, and throughout the week in Tallahassee. I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget those. I might, they might slip out. All right. Anything you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Well, we're just, you know, it's, I've been at, at the University of Florida in the state of Florida for almost five and a half years. And I personally feel so fortunate and the University of Florida just so grateful for the investment our state is making in higher ed at this point in the history of our university and the other state universities. Um, it's, it's the Good things are happening, and, and I'm, we're counting on the state content to continue that. President Fox will be shaking hands in the Capitol Courtyard during the lunch hour today. And don't forget that selfie with Albert the Alligator. Your calendar of events, it starts off early, 9 o'clock. The House Select Committee on Research Institutions meets to hear presentations as it continues to scrutinize potential foreign interference in research in Florida research institutions. At 10, the Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee will take up a bill requiring employers to do immigration checks on all new hires through E-Verify, a federal database run by the Department of Homeland Security. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 10, and they'll consider changes at sperm banks and fertility clinics. The bill could open the door to civil lawsuits against physicians who intentionally or recklessly implant the incorrect sperm, eggs, or embryos in patients. Also at 10, the Senate Health Policy Committee takes up a bill allowing pharmacists to test and treat patients for influenza and strep. At 10.30, the Senate Agriculture Committee gets an update on the Florida Forest Service about timber and forestry recovery in the panhandle after Hurricane Michael. 
The House Appropriations Committee meets at 1130. They'll take up a bill providing more than $2 million to compensate Clifford Williams for being wrongfully incarcerated for 43 years in a Duval County murder case. At 12.30, Senator Jason Pizzo and Representative Chevron Jones and Amy Mercado are taking part in a news conference about bills that address the treatment of pregnant prisoners. The Senate Criminal and Civil Justice Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 1.30. They'll be hearing a bill to abolish the statute of limitations for prosecuting sexual battery cases in which children are the victims. At 1.30, the Senate Education Appropriations Sub considers a proposal requiring panic alarms in all public schools. The House Education Committee meets at 3 to consider a bill requiring public schools to hold a minute of silence each day. Also at 3, the House Judiciary Committee takes up a bill that would make it harder for political committees to put constitutional amendments on the ballot. The Senate Transportation, Tourism, and Economic Development Appropriations Subcommittee is taking up a bill to improve safety at pedestrian crosswalks. And the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition is holding an advocacy day at the Capitol. The coalition helped lead efforts to pass a 2018 constitutional amendment aimed at restoring the voting rights of felons who have completed their sentences. And it's time once again for the ongoing adventures of Florida Man. A Florida man is upset that he's not allowed to bring a life-sized cardboard cutout of Donald Trump for emotional support when he goes to kidney dialysis three times a week. Nelson Gibson began bringing a picture of Trump for support during the dialysis sessions. No one complained. Next, he brought a small cardboard cutout of himself standing next to a photo of Trump. Again, no complaints. But when Gibson brought in a life-size cutout of Trump, the dialysis center in Port St. Lucie said, too much. Technically, they say it's prohibited because of the chance of an infection. And a Florida woman is accused of biting a Flagler County deputy. Officers who were dispatched to investigate a domestic battery call say 38-year-old Sherry Sanders was shoeless, her makeup was smeared, her speech was slurred, and she reeked of booze. The sheriff's office says she approached a deputy in a threatening manner and began kicking and screaming when officers tried to cuff her. The deputy's body cam video shows Saunders biting a deputy's calf. Moments later, he began to feel ill. Moments later, he began to feel ill and passed out. Sanders is charged with resisting a law enforcement officer, domestic battery, resisting an officer with violence, and, oh, by the way, she puked in the patrol car on the way to jail. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.